Welcome to the Awesome Pod Mix. You are listening to Abby. The idea behind this podcast was to talk about how certain movies and TV shows made me feel when I watched them for the very first time. A reputed filmmaker once said, "When a piece of art invokes a similar feeling amidst a large audience, it's the triumph of the filmmaker. That's the magic of cinema." I love the magic of cinema. Today I'll be talking about the 5th episode of Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Whether Marvel creates movies or TV shows, they are all cinematic. This episode's title is Asylum, written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton and directed by Mohammad Diab. The episode begins with a shot of a cave getting flooded by the water filling in from all sides. We hear a boy's voice calling for help. This has to be young Mark. The shot goes out of focus and when it gains focus we see a lady One look and I knew this was Mark's mother. She yells, "This is all your fault." I thought Mark was responsible for his father's death, just like it is in the comics, and she blamed Mark for it. Little did I know that was not the case. From the word "fault," it transitions into the close-up shot of Towerette's mouth as she screams. We see Mark and Steven reacting scared just like they did in the last episode. This transitions into Mark screaming alone in Harrow's office, now with a broken nose and a band-aid over it. Dr. Harrow calms Mark down. Harrow says, "I didn't shoot you. Your mind is violently vacillating between sense and nonsense. You are in the Putnam Medical Facility, Chicago, Illinois. You're doing everything possible not to look within." Now Mark has been avoiding his feelings but the rest of the stuff Harrow said is a lie. I speculated in the last episode that because we never got to see how Mark arrived at the psych ward it's not real. The conversation between Mark and Harrow starts from there. Both of them ask each other how they got here. With the sound of every tick in the background Mark's shot changes from Mark's mid shot to his profile shot to mid shot again. and back to profile shot and finally to mark's close up this depicts the oscillating nature of the reality mark says you're not really a doctor haro asks is that why you start imaginary fights in our hospital mark says you're not a real doctor now instead of saying i am a real doctor haro says i feel real i feel like a real doctor Now hang on just a minute. No doctor would ever say I feel like a real doctor. They would say I am a real doctor. So you, Mr. Harrow, are not real. Harrow is just telling half truths and making Mark reveal the rest of the details. What kind of therapist dismisses and invalidates a patient's feelings? Answer: A terrible one. According to Harrow, Mark said he was in a place that was oddly reminiscent of Harrow's office, but in Egypt instead of Chicago, and that he saw a talking rhinoceros. Mark corrects him. It was a hippopotamus. Harrow says, "Do you think that's sense or nonsense?" When Harrow says "or nonsense," we see a shot of Harrow through the glass from under the table. What is this shot supposed to mean? That Haro is almighty and powerful and is controlling Mark's mind. Haro says the struggling mind will often build places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self for our most traumatic memories. It's called an organizing principle. Some people see a castle, a maze, a library, and Mark says or a psych ward. 
Harrow finds this new animal character interesting. He thinks it can help Mark break down the walls between Mark and Stephen. And Harrow may finally understand. When Mark interrupts Harrow to ask, understand what? Harrow deflects the conversation saying, Before you got upset, you were talking about a boy. Harrow checks if Mark remembers that boy and he wants to know about that boy. Mark has had enough. He gets up to leave. Mark says, Hey, thank you. I feel really great. I mean, they must be paying you a lot of money in this place. When Mark gets up, he has a pyramid-like prism in his hand, as if he'll use it to hurt Harrow. Harrow buzzes his staff in. Mark says, You're really good. I'll tell you what, I feel like a million dollars. Never felt so good. I'm gonna see myself out. Thank you. Bobby and Billy enter Harrow's office to control Mark. Mark is aware that Harrow is going to release that monster and destroy everything. Bobby sedates Mark. And we are back to the beginning where we see Mark and Steven screaming looking at Tavaret. Mark thinks these meds are really amazing. Tavaret checks with Steven if Mark is always this intense. She further asks if they are twins. Mark denies it but Steven agrees. This clarifies things for Tavaret and Mark because Mark thought he was shot to death. Tavaret confirms that Mark is kind of actually dead. Mark and I simultaneously said, I'm sorry, what? Tavaret gives Mark and Stephen a pleasantry welcome. Stephen realizes that he and Mark are in the Duat, the Egyptian underworld. He even recognizes Tavaret as the goddess of women and children. She is guiding them through their journey in the afterlife. As Mark looks around the asylum corridors, he says, The afterlife? Tavaret informs, an afterlife, not the afterlife. You'll be surprised how many intersectional planes of untethered consciousness exist. Like the ancestral plane. Oh, just gorgeous. Ancestral plane was shown in the movie Black Panther. It is indeed gorgeous. Tavaret throws a bunch of cards to get to the card to read from. Tavaret says, Because Duat's true nature is impossible for the human mind to comprehend, you may perceive this realm as something more easily recognizable to you. Psych wards are first for me. But hey, we can roll with it, right? Stephen is confused because why would they imagine this realm to be a psychiatric hospital? Mark says, Because we're insane. This broke me. You're not insane, Mark. You're not insane. Mark says, We are insane. Talking hippo, talking dead bird, you're outside of my body now. And now the afterlife, that's the reality. And the hospital, that's the imagination. Mark thinks Dr. Harrow is right and this is just an organizing principle. Stephen says, Dr. Harrow? Is he a doctor now? Mark is hell-bent on proving that it's just a hospital with patients and Crawley yelling bingo numbers. When Mark opens one of the doors, we see the duot with the purple sky. Similar to the ancestral plane, but not quite the same. Mark and Stephen are on a boat. It's sailing through the desert to Aru, to the field of reeds. Tavaret realizes Stephen is the smart one. Tavaret says, If your heart is balanced in life, you'll spend all eternity in paradise the field of reeds. But before they get there, she needs their hearts to put on Anubis' scales of justice. She extracts both Stephen and Mark's hearts, all white just like a piece of marble. She places them together on one side of the scales and the feather of truth on the other. If Anubis' scales would balance by the end of their journey, 
the soul would be permitted to pass into the field of reeds. If the scales don't balance, they get thrown overboard and sucked by the dead, dragging them into the duot and will remain forever frozen in the sand. Mark is not going down, and neither are they going to the field of reeds. If necessary, they'll kill the hippo and steal the boat. Do not kill the sweet hippo, Lady Mark. She's trying to help you. Tavaret draws Stevens and Mark's attention to Anubis' scales and reveals that they are not balancing. She doesn't even have cards for a situation like this. She accesses the hearts and says that they are not full. Though Tavaret is a goblet half-full kind gal, but each of the hearts feel incomplete. Do they need a third heart of a certain identity? That'll definitely put the scales so off-balance that they'll be stuck in the duot. Tavaret suggests Stephen and Mark to share the truth with each other. She doesn't know what they are hiding from each other. As the boat contains all of their life's memories, they can show each other the truth to balance the scales. Stephen and Mark discuss what to do. Mark doesn't want to dig into those memories because they are messy. Each door shows one of their life memories playing inside. They see the Moon Knight beating up the jackal and Stephen creating the night sky spectacle to find the location of Ahmed's tomb. Stephen sees Mark standing by a red car in the street, which he has no memory of. When Stephen inquires about it, Mark doesn't give a straight answer. Stephen hears the voice of a young boy calling for help. Stephen traces the boy's voice to one of the rooms filled with dead bodies. Mark follows Stephen. When Mark enters and sees the bodies, he remembers every single one of them because he killed all of them for Konshu. Stephen spots Anubis's scales in the middle of the room still trying to balance. Stephen spots the boy and asks Mark, Why is there a child in a room filled with people that you have killed? Mark warns Stephen not to go near the boy. But when does Stephen ever listen to Mark? Stephen pleasantly greets the boy. But the boy runs away. Stephen goes after him. Mark follows Stephen. The boy goes inside one of the memory doors. Stephen follows. Mark is left behind because Stephen locks the door from the inside. Stephen is delighted to see his mom preparing food over the barbecue grill. We learn that Mark had a younger brother named Randall. Randall draws a one-finned fish. And I thought Stephen was literally finding Nemo. Mark and his brother plan to go to a cave. Mark's mother appoints Mark to take care of his brother. Later, Gators. In a wild crocodile. Stephen wanted to take care of his fish because he couldn't take care of his brother. It starts to rain. Randall is reluctant to enter the cave. But Mark tells him not to be a baby. Randall and Mark enter the cave. Stephen steps over Konshu's model skeleton. When the water starts to fill the cave, Stephen can sense the impending doom. Mark paces around the corridors of the asylum looking for Stephen. Stephen warns the young boys to get out of the cave. Mark encounters his mother in one of the memory doors. Young Mark and Randall cry for help. Randall drowns in the rainwater. Mark tries to tell himself that it's just a memory. Now Mark sees the Shiva for his brother in one of the memory doors. Mark's mother, Wendy, couldn't grieve the death of her younger child and constantly blamed Mark for it. Wendy Spector says, it's all your fault. Every year on Mark's birthday, there'll be some kind of argument between Mark and his mother. The mother turns alcoholic. Stephen is not happy to see his mother's awful behavior toward young Mark. Mark arrives and stops Stephen from revisiting the memory. Stephen climbs the stairs to his childhood bedroom. 
These are the same stairs we've seen in the end credit sequence with grains of sand falling. Mark's issue with his mother also creates a rift between teenager Mark and his father. The altercation between Stephen and Mark makes them jump to the memory of the night Layla's dad died and Mark became Moon Knight. Stephen is still judging Mark. Mark reveals he was discharged from the military because he went AWOL in a fugue state. So he went work for hire for his former military commander Bushman. A wounded Mark drags himself to Konshu's temple and is about to kill himself. Mark is at his most vulnerable when Konshu offers him the deal to be his hands of vengeance. Stephen understands that Konshu manipulated Mark and took advantage of him because he already had a fractured and a broken mind. Mark accepts to be the Moon Knight. Anubis's scales appear inside Konshu's temple and start to balance. Stephen hears screeching of the creatures. Mark and Stephen find Tavaret and ask what's wrong. Tavaret says fear is spreading in the upper world. Unbalanced souls are being judged or condemned to the sands before their time. Oh, this is bad. This is evil. Stephen convinces Tavaret that he and Mark need to go back. Tavaret explains that Mark will still return to a body with a bullet. He wouldn't be able to heal. Stephen requests to send word to Layla to help them free Konshu. Tavaret checks if that's what Mark wants and Mark says there's no other option. Stephen begs for Tavaret's help. Tavaret agrees and steers the boat into another direction. Tavaret says Osiris is not going to like this, but his gate is the only path back. Get Back inside, you don't have long. Get those scales balanced. Stephen wants to return to young Mark's memory in his childhood room. Mark says they don't have to go. He's ready to talk about it. He'll tell him everything. It's not worth it to revisit the memory. Stephen says, not worth it? Not worth it. Mark, you are about to lose everything. Do you understand? If we don't get back and Harrow succeeds and all those people die, if Layla dies, that's on your head. It'll be all your fault. Mark starts hitting himself incessantly because this is his trigger line. All his life, his mother blamed him for Randall's death. Mark says, no, 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 I won't do it. You can't make me do it. You can't make me. I wonder who is he saying this to? Because this is definitely a trauma response. Is he actually saying it to Stephen? Or did he mean it for someone else? This transitions into Mark hitting himself in Harrow's office. This time, Mark's nose is not broken and there's no blood around his face. Harrow calms Mark down. Mark checks if Harrow injected him with something and Harrow outright denies it. Mark touches his nose to check if it is still broken. Harrow compliments Mark on the progress that he's made. Harrow offers him a glass of water and questions Mark. Do you think you created Stephen to hide all the awful things you did in your life? Or if Stephen created you to punish the world for what your mother did to you? Do you remember? There's only one way to know. You'll have to open up to Stephen. There can be no progress without understanding. Can you do that? Can you open up to Stephen? Mark checks his reflection in the glass of water. A hand comes in frame and throws two figurines off the table. It's young Mark in his childhood room. We see the poster of Tomb Buster. 
The tagline reads, When danger is near, Stephen Grant has no fear. There's also a pair of toy scales present in his room. Stephen has no recollection of this memory. Mark's mother, Wendy, bangs on the door. Mark tells himself it's not his mom. In doing so, Mark creates the identity of Stephen Grant. The mother turns abusive toward Mark. Mark doesn't let Stephen see his mother hitting him with a belt. I would have called child services. I wonder why Stephen's father never saved him from this abuse. Stephen punches Mark. Stephen is devastated because he thought he was the original. And turns out he only lived a lie, a life of denial. Mark created Stephen's identity to make him forget that his mother hit him and hated him. Instead, he would remember her as a kind and a loving parent and that she's still alive. I did want them to explore the mother-son relationship, but I didn't want this. No child should have to go through anything like this. Mark reveals his dad called him about his mother's shiva, but he couldn't get himself to attend it. The memory of Mark on the street by the red car was that day. Stephen can't handle the truth. He throws the water from the glass in Harrow's face. Stephen is surprised to see Harrow as a doctor. His degree is from the School of Psychological Sciences, but it doesn't even have an authorized signature. It proves that none of this is real. Stephen says, it's so strange. Stephen strange? Stephen says, the little haircut, little silly stash like Ned Flanders. This is a reference to the Simpsons character, Nedward Flanders Jr. He's known by the moniker Flanders. He is the Simpson family's extremely religious next-door neighbor. There couldn't be a better reference to explain Harrow's character. Stephen thinks this is all Towerette's doing. Harrow admits that he asked Mark to open up to Stephen. Stephen dismisses it and says Mark lied to him. Harrow counter-questions. What did he lie about? Stephen says, Ooh, nosy. Harrow reveals that Stephen admitted himself in the asylum after his mother passed away. Harrow was also under the impression that Stephen would never be able to acknowledge Mark. Stephen is still in denial about his mother's death. He is upset with Harrow for saying that his mother has died. Harrow pretends to make a call to Mrs. Grant. It dawns upon Stephen that she is not alive anymore. Tears roll down his eyes. We visit the memory of Wendy Spector, Mark's mom's Shiva. Elias, Mark's father, spots Mark outside on the street by the red car, drinking from a flask. Elias gestures his son to come in. Mark shakes his head. He wobbles as he walks away and breaks down in the middle of the street. He sobs profusely and apologizes to his mother. Stephen's identity takes over Mark. He doesn't remember where he is. He calls his mother on the phone, saying, He's totally lost again, like an absolute Muppet. Mark reveals this is the moment when their lives started bleeding into each other. Stephen finally forgives Mark and validates, Mom was wrong. It wasn't your fault. You were just a child. The ground starts to shake. We see an upside-down shot of Mark and Stephen on the street as they head to the gates of Osiris. Stephen checks with Towerette about what's happening. The scales are not balanced yet. Tavaret doesn't know how they would open the gates to the world above. The journey has come to an end. She can't stop the inevitable. The unbalanced souls of Duat would claim their souls. The souls start approaching Mark and Stephen. Mark and Stephen fight. Stephen does everything in his power to save Mark. Stephen gets thrown off the boat. Stephen tries to get back to the boat. 
but he gets frozen in the sand as he extends his hand out to Mark. Poignant music plays in the background. The scales finally balance. A ray of sunshine pours in. Mark reaches the field of reeds. A mellow song plays in the background. The imagery is reminiscent of the wheat fields from the movie Gladiator. For me, this was the most engaging episode of Moon Knight. It broke my heart to pieces over and over again. I cried precisely how I cried during other Marvel Disney Plus shows, like WandaVision's episode previously on, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier's episode when Bucky is free from Hydra's programming, like Loki's first episode when he learns about his mother's death, like Hawkeye's most episode as he's still grieving about Natasha's death. I feel terrible that Steven died. He didn't deserve this. He was being honesty. Honesty deserves better. My heart is all heavy now. My scales will not balance. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. There'll be no later gators. You can listen to the awesome pod mix and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. If you like what I'm doing, I'll soon be launching the awesome pod mix page on Patreon and you can support me there. Thanks for listening.